Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So let us listen now for the story of Jesus and his last days and weeks from Luke 23. Listen now for God's word as it comes to us. The whole assembly got up and led Jesus to Pilate and began to accuse him. They said, we have found this man Jesus misleading our people, opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar and claiming that he is the Christ, a king. Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, that is what you say. And then in a bit, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Herod was very glad to see Jesus, for he had heard of him and wanted to see him for some time. He was hoping to see Jesus perform some sign. Herod questioned Jesus at length, but Jesus didn't respond to him. The chief priests and the legal experts were there fiercely accusing Jesus, and Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt. Herod mocked him by dressing Jesus in elegant clothes and then sending back to Pilate. Then Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man before me as one who is misleading the people. I've questioned him in your presence and found nothing in this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges you have brought against him. Neither did Herod, because Herod returned him to us. He's done nothing that deserves death. Therefore, I'll have him whipped and I'll let him go. But with one voice they shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And they kept crying and crying, Crucify him, crucify him. And finally they handed Jesus over. And then they led Jesus away and grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. And they put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a huge crowd of people followed Jesus, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. And they also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. And when they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The leaders sneered at Jesus, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is really the Christ sent from God. 
The soldiers mocked him. If you're really the king of the Jews, save yourself. And one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. But then Jesus said, Jesus said to the other, I will remember all of you when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied that I assure you that you will be with me in paradise. And then it was about noon and the darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock. And then the sun stopped shining. And then the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in the middle. And crying out with a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. And after this, he breathed for the last time. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hosanna. With our branches, we're entering Holy Week, waving our palms in the air. We're going on a journey with Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem. That is, like Jesus, we're going on a journey down to our deaths. My friend Ed tells me that Palm Sunday is his absolute favorite day in the church year. He loves the palm-waving children and the procession. He relishes singing all glory, laud, and honor in all its majesty. He anticipates the sight of Jesus astride a donkey making his way down the hill and toward him, toward us, just as Melissa Ann would have us imagine. He yearns, like so many of us, for a truly good leader, a peerless exemplar, one gifted with justice and integrity and wisdom. An Orthodox priest I know describes this day, Palm Sunday, as a glittering sadness. There is such unbearable beauty and such pain today. Jesus is hailed as a king and winds up as a criminal. He will empty himself, accepting execution at the hands of other human beings before returning the gift of a total acceptance and forgiveness to the whole world. He loves all of us unequivocally to the very end. Palm Sunday shows us the passion and the sorrow and the love intermingled at the heart of all our lives. And it gives us the chance to imagine how we will arrive at this cross, bearing that pain together, using it to transform the world, or using it as an excuse to separate ourselves from each other. The great poet W.H. Auden was once asked why he was a Christian instead of a Buddhist or Confucian, because all three of those religions share core values. He said, because nothing in the figure of Buddha or Confucius fills me with the overwhelming desire to say, crucify him. I am cautious of crowds, enthusiastic crowds. Crowds say things that individuals later will reject. Crowds convey a sense of unrealistic camaraderie. Run with a crowd on Palm Sunday and you will be disappointed. The fellow riding the donkey will likely fail you. He's not going to be the sort of king that you will expect. This crowd lets us say, as Jesus' disciples will soon say, That man? I don't know him. He's not one of us. David Bailey was a gifted guitarist and singer-songwriter. He had a gritty, intelligent Christian faith and a fierce hope. 
He was also diagnosed at age 30 with a massive and incurable tumor, brain tumor, glioblastoma. He told, was told he would probably die within months. David lived 14 years and was married to a dynamic and devoted woman. Together they had two wonderful children. One week toward the end of David's life, a group of friends and clergy and Members of his family gathered around his hospice bed, and we all prayed and prayed and we cried and sang and cried yet some more. One of the people there told me that he wanted to just fall down in that room. How can something be so unbearably sad, he asked, and just, just so very beautiful. In the presence of Jesus' love, a love that goes beyond death, we want to fall down on this Passion Sunday. But we do not take this journey alone. We can love each other anyway to the very end. Mother Teresa reminds us that we've forgotten that we truly belong to each other. The scholars tell us that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he came the donkey rider Every year during Passover, the Jewish festival that filled Jerusalem's population from 50,000 to 200,000 saw the Roman governor of Judea, Pilate, ride up to the city from his palace on the Mediterranean. He would come in all his imperial splendor to remind the Jewish pilgrims that Rome demanded their total attention and obedience. The Jewish people could commemorate their victory against Egypt and their freedom from slavery, but any act of rebellion would be crushed. So as Pilate banged his royal way into Jerusalem from the west, Jesus approached from the east looking ragtag. In contrast to Pilate who ruled by terror and threat, Jesus was defenseless. Riding a donkey, he all but cried out the reality that his kingdom would be built of love and humility and sacrifice. So often I think I know exactly what kind of Savior I need in my life. I need a Savior of sudden healing or one who can mediate a challenging moment. I need the physical presence, the assurance of a God with me. I need a soft landing. But here's the thing, that Savior is not Jesus. If there's a single day in the church here that illustrates the dissonance that's at the heart of our faith, it's today. More than any other day, this festive Paul Sunday, this complex day of palm fronds and hosanna, warns us that paradoxes we may not like or want are woven right into the fabric of our Christian faith. A God riding a donkey, dying to live, a suffering king, Good Friday. Frederick Buechner says that our Palm Sunday journey is about despair and it's about hope. Together they travel the road to Jerusalem as together they travel down each road that we take. Despair at what in our madness we are bringing down on our own heads. And hope. Hope in him who travels the road with us and for us and ahead of us. And who is the only one of us who is not truly mad. These paradoxes are what give Jesus' story its substance. 
calling us at every moment to hold together truths that are bizarre and counterintuitive, even irreconcilable. On good days, I understand that these paradoxes are what afford my faith its credibility. If I live in a world that knows holiness and mystery and pain and contradiction, then I need a faith resilient enough to bear the weight of that disordered world. I need a faith that empowers me in Richard Rohr's words to live in an exquisite and terrible humility before the reality. But the question is, will I choose what is humble and real, or will I insist to live in the delusion of power and empire? Will I accompany Jesus on his donkey on that perilous path, or will my impatient and broken hosannas undermine my own journey? Beekner is right. We're mad with despair and hope, mad so much that we really don't know what to do with the story of a God who comes to die so that we can live. For those of us who agonize to reconcile the role of God's will in Jesus' death, Palm Sunday offers an appalling and stunning and please pay attention to this moment. It was the will of God that Jesus declare God's kingdom. Kingdom of peace and deliberate self-emptying love. A kingdom of radical inclusion and risk that demands from us vulnerability and courage. In the epistle that John read, Paul maps out the journey that Jesus takes in coming to earth. His heart hit at the very bottom of his death and God's raising again of him in glory so that creation can see who he truly is. The first half of Philippians is chalked with verbs. Jesus emptied himself, took the form of a slave, humbled himself, became obedient. These were not spontaneous actions on his part. They arose from deep within the Christ mind, the way he saw himself in relation to God. It was a mindset that involved the total evacuation of his ego, that there was all kinds of room for God to act. In the second half of the passage, Jesus does nothing. The verbs all belong to God. Philippians 2 is, for me, one of the most challenging and lovely of all the New Testament. It challenges my privilege. It calls me to attend to the needs of others. It calls those of us with institutional power to first admit that we have it and then to learn how to give up our tendency to exploit it. It insists that I resist the temptation to speak as though whatever I say comes from the mind of Christ and to pretend to say that all that I have to say is all that God has to say. It calls me to let the mind of Christ be in me and for there to be enough room for the Holy Spirit to go to work. Jesus' death was no more spontaneous than anything else that occurred in his life. He saw it coming, certainly. As awful as the manner of his death turned out to be, it was an unsurprising end for one who spent absolutely no energy protecting himself from anything or anyone. Having emptied himself of his life, he emptied himself to the end. This odd biblical language of obedience, of self-sacrifice, and putting the needs of others before our own can be heard as advocating acceptance of 
violence and abuse from those in authority in this kind of Me Too, Black Lives Matter moment. The unwillingness of patriarchy and privilege to lie down once and for all can overlay a strange residue to a traditional scriptural language. We can't pretend it's not there, but neither can we abandon the countercultural pathway described by Paul. This is the way of Jesus and the world. So was it God's will that Jesus die? Or was it Jesus' will to be subject to, to obey that other people died? Remember, the Romans had crucified thousands of Jews before they got to Jesus. Here Philippians says, Jesus became obedient unto death. And having assumed the form of a slave, he asked for no special pass at the end. He submitted to death the same way he submitted to everything that made him fully human, totally alive. This is why he serves for us an exemplar. Let the same mind be in you, Paul challenges, apparently believing that this state is within our grasp. Today, Palm Sunday, we do not witness the remarkable death of an extraordinary child of God. Instead, we experience the same kind of self-emptying love that we are capable of. The actions of our lives, our verbs, can flow from this same Christ mind. Sooner or later, we'll all be called to be obedient unto death. In the meantime, we're as free as Jesus to determine how we will spend our time, how we'll use our energy, how we will be. Will we spend it on self-protection or on self-giving, on saving ourselves or on giving ourselves away? This drama pivots around the individual character of Jesus, and there's much to be gleaned for our own personal experiences. But I have to ask, what would it look like for a community of faith, this First Presbyterian Church, to embody the mind of Christ, to empty our corporate self, our resources, in order to take up the form of a slave? What might it look like for us to become obedient to the point of death? What crosses lie before us? Or put it another way, what are we ready to give ourselves away for? Give our way something of our worship so that we could attract those people who are not yet here? Ready to give away traditional practices and schedules in order to embrace and form people in the richness of the Christian faith? Ready to go out from this sacred place to bind up the wounds of our community in Detroit and Ypsilanti? Recall the pattern of Christ. It's in dying that we come to live by the power of God in transformation and re resurrection. Kierkegaard wrote once that Jesus wants followers, not admirers. God calls us to swim, but if we want to keep one foot planted firmly on the bottom, but God wants us out in the water 70,000 fathoms deep where our life depends not on half measures, but upon faith. Finally, there's one odd thing about this passage from Philippians. Our human will ends at verse 9. There we die. After that, the good news is God takes over. There is in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the one sitting in the pews in front of you, a literal space between verses 8 and 9. If you look at the shape of the text on the page, there's a space that, in my imagination, is equivalent to the grave in which Jesus lay dead as dead as he could possibly be, completely obedient, no pulse, no thought, no will. 
Fred Craddock, the wonderful pastor, helps us see that, that the grave of Christ was a cave, not a tunnel. Christ acted on our behalf with no thought of gain. That is precisely what God has exalted and vindicated. Self-denying service for others to the point of death with no claim of return, no eye on reward. So on Palm Sunday, I think we focus, we do not focus on what we believe about Jesus so much as we focus on what he did and what we're able to do because of what he did. Like Jesus who accepts today's hosannas knowing that his friends will betray him, the crowd will turn on him and his only crown will be in pain. He doesn't count equality with God but submits, emptying his own self and mind so that he can be filled with the glory and the power of God's great and transforming love. And from his beautiful bloody head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down, 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 down to us this day. Look, Jesus says, this is how you live. And so today in this glittering sadness of Palm Sunday, we take up our crosses and we follow him where he might lead. Thanks be to God who has loved us all the way to the last steps of our journeys. Amen and amen. In the spirit of Palm Sunday, I invite you to join me in a bidding prayer. So when I say, save us, O Lord, I would ask that you would join your voices with mine and say, for your mercy is great. So let's try that. Save us, O Lord. For your mercy is great. Save us, O Lord. For your mercy is great. Let us continue in prayer. We prepare ourselves for this week that is holy, yet filled with unholy acts, words, and thoughts. In this week of journey, people will lose their way. In this week of betrayal, others will find hope hidden deep in their hearts. We will try to follow Jesus in the days to come, sustained by the word of grace and life. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Joining the children, we wave palm branches with joy while keeping nails ready in case we need them. The one who set aside glory now comes in humility. The one who offers life will challenge death itself. Hosanna, blessed is the one who opens your heart to us. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Holy God, your Son humbled himself even to death to show us the power of loving service. Guide those holding positions of power that their decisions give rise to the mutual flourishing of the world you so love. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Healing God. Your son is betrayed and crucified in our violent world each day. Raise us to a new and rightly ordered world through the reconciling love of Christ, where all victims of violence, persecution, shame, or terror may stand together with you in peace. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Forsaken God, as your son suffered his cruel death on the cross, darkness covered the whole land. Enlighten us to care for your creation. Awaken us from our denial and abuse and help us to alleviate its suffering. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Grieving God, your Son consoled others in life and in death. And so we pray for all who are distressed, broken, or sorrowful, 
that together with Christ and his suffering, we may be healed and finally raised in you. Save us, O Lord, for your mercy is great. Eternal God, your son was lovingly cared for as he was laid to rest in a tomb. We remember before you those who have died, and we pray for those who will die in days to come. Enfold them in your love that they may rest with Christ forever in his life. Save us, O Lord. For your mercy is great. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.